The Circle, a novel by Ed Adams. Albuquerque. Chuck slowly drove them back towards the main road. It took about 30 minutes to get onto a normal road surface and then another 20 minutes before they were back on the highway. What's just happened back there said Big C, one minute I was watching the flames around the fire and the next minute it was dawn. I know said Chuck there are some powerful forces here in the desert. I've experienced this kind of thing before with red and although you don't have to believe it, don't be surprised when something returns from the evening later. Claire asked, what's in the back, Chuck? It is something we can all get into trouble for, if the police stopped us, for example. Not necessarily said Chuck but it's still better that you don't know. Today before we make any plans to go into the missile ranges, I'd rather check some things. We are close to Albuquerque now, so I suggest we stop there for the rest of the day. Find a hotel and use the internet to check a few things. Tom suggested a hotel in the center of Albuquerque. Bigsie smiled at this idea. The chance of a decent night in a hotel, not in the car or a wooden shack or a ramshackle motel would be excellent. Good plan said Bigsie. They could already see the sights of Albuquerque appearing, and Chuck headed for the middle. There was a very central hotel with an adjacent parking lot. He pulled the car in, and they walked the short distance to the hotel. It was a pleasant environment with a huge atrium and an expensive look about it. This looks fine said Claire smiling. She noticed that Chuck was carrying a small camouflage bag, which she assumed had been inside the larger one. And I will get this said Chuck as they checked in. He asked the receptionist if they could pay cash for what would be an overnight stay. Chuck rummaged into the camo bag and pulled out some hundred dollar bills. He counted them out and handed them over for the rooms. I suggest we all freshen up then meet in the bar to discuss our next plans. Bixie, I may need your help with some of the internet things. Hotel Park Central As well as the main bar there was a row of booths along one side of the hotel atrium. Each one was different and featured some kind of unique ambience. They picked one which seems to have a Japanese theme and sat down with a couple of laptops. One was Bixie's and the other was a rather military-grade device carried by Chuck. Okay, said Chuck. Tomorrow will be when the fun starts. We will visit the base and try to find out what has been happening to my colleagues. Tom will guide us in. I expect there's more to it than the old experiments from eight years ago. Some of that equipment that Red's people provided will help us get into the base. Is it guns? said Claire. Not exactly, said Chuck. It contains uniforms and badges. Red talked about walking through walls. I think we need to walk through checkpoints then the easiest way is to look as if we belong on the inside. So how have Red's people come by this equipment asked Bixie. Simple really, replied Tom, Red still sells a few items to people on the inside of the base and to assist this it is helpful if he has some ways of getting in and out easily. Is that not a major security flaw asked Claire. Kind of yes, and kind of no, said Tom. The Navajo guards that work at the base have excellent field craft and great fighting skills. They also still speak the Navajo language. This provides a ready-made code for communication. You may have heard about this being used back in the Second World War. It means if we get into the base using the material supplied by Red, then the base guards will know that we are friends of Red. I just hope this works, said Bixie.
Do not forget that you'll have me along too, said Tom. I don't traffic material into the base like Red, but plenty of the people across the security control will still know me. But this evening we must check the status of my colleagues, said Chuck, I know that Ben and Mike were both killed. That leaves three others. We need to find out if they were contacted. Bixie, this is where you can help me. Chuck started up his computer and logged into an email system. These emails are not stored on this computer, they are installed in a secure site, said Chuck. You can see this the message sent to me that first told me that the Project Esther links would be re-established. And you can see the message that asked me to come to the hotel in Scottsdale. It doesn't mention the hotel by name but uses the slang that we all used for when we worked at the base. The convention center asked Bixie. Yes, that's what we called it. And it was an accurate description often, said Chuck. Okay but the location is vague enough to mean that if you didn't know the slang, then you wouldn't even have a clue about which country to visit. Exactly, said Chuck, it either means somebody has been leaky with their email communications or that somebody from our team has let it be known where we would meet. Claire asked, so the other three people. Have we checked on their whereabouts? Not yet, said Chuck, I didn't have time to piece this together when I first arrived and then after the hurried exit from the hotel this is the first chance I've had to carry out any research. So, what are the names? Klaus Wegener, Barbara Somerville and Tony Capaldi. Let's start with Wegener, said Bigsy. It's the most unique sounding and the easiest to track down on the internet. He typed it into a search engine on his computer and a recent news item from Vancouver came up as the first result. Man dies in lake, it said. Bigsy scanned the article. It says that Klaus died trying to rescue a dog in a lake, said Bigsy. Two weeks ago, said Chuck. There is a clear pattern here, said Claire. Bigsy searched for Barbara Somerville and Tony Capaldi. Barbara Somerville's name was too common and there were many hits. I don't think we can tell whether Barbara Somerville is the same one, said Chuck, and anyway there doesn't seem to be any mysterious accidents listed in the recent past for that name. They looked for Tony Capaldi. Again, there were some mentions, and it looked as if it was several different people. Tony also had a nickname, said Tom, try again and add in Buckeye. Ha said Bigsy. Buckeye, well done for remembering that, Tom said Chuck, he was from Ohio. I'm none the wiser, said Bigsy. Buckeye is a nickname for someone from Ohio, explained Chuck, it is named after the Buckeye tree. I've never heard of it, said Bigsy. Me neither, said Claire. Okay but let's try it. Bigsy typed the name again and added Buckeye. To his surprise, a name now rose to the top of the list. It even had a picture. That's him, said Chuck, although the picture is probably quite old. They read the entry, and it described him as a lecturer now based in Columbus, Ohio and working at the Ohio State University. That's great, said Chuck, we should be able to trace him easily from that. Big C was already typing in the website address for the university. Let's try the employee self-service area, he said. I will not hack into it, but I think we can use it to get some information. He flicked through a few screens and made some notes. Okay. I have a plan. Here's what we need to do. 
Bigsy explained how they would call the university about a personal package that needed to be delivered to Tony Capaldi. I don't need to know more than whether he is there. We'll need to do this tomorrow morning when there are some admin staff on the faculty. We also need to get some up-to-date satellite images and maps of where we are going tomorrow, said Chuck. They used the mapping functions to produce area maps, which Bixie saved to a memory stick. Now to go to the hotel office's services to get four copies of everything printed, Chuck grinned. That story of Red's asked Claire, it was quite haunting. I know, said Tom, he's a medicine man, some say shaman, so he should be good at telling it. You know there's a next part? We all learn it. It is passed down from generation to generation. Remember you were in a Hogan? The wooden shack construction? That's a woman's Hogan. First man and first woman wanted a Hogan. They wondered where to build it. The talking god helped to build the first Hogan. This was a male Hogan. Lot was like the forked stick Hogan we have today. LT had a doorway facing east. This led in the early morning light. The talking god explained that the male Hogan was only for ceremonies. What, like a church asked Bigsy. Yes, kind of like a church, continued Tom. First man and first woman still needed a home where they could live. With the help of other beings, next, they built a female Hogan. This Hogan was made of mud and logs. LT was shaped like a circle. This was the place where the people lived and worked. That's like the one we were inside, said Claire, with a hole in the roof to let out smoke. That's right, said Tom, Hogan's are energy efficient, timber structured with doors pointing to the sunrise. By now, first man and first woman had become human. They were like us. For food, they ate wild plants and animals. The holy people sang songs and gave prayers to let plants grow. Then the people planted their own food. Then came the four seasons. Lay in the spring, the plants came up from the ground. Lay in the winter, the plants died and were hidden under the snow. The plants grew into crops like corn, beans and squash. But all was not well. There were monsters who hurt people. Horned monster chased people and killed them with his horns. There was a monster that kicked people off the edge of a cliff. Another monster killed people by staring at them until they were under his spell. Then he ate them. First man and first woman could not stop the monsters. They did not know what to do. Then one day they looked up. They saw a cloud over a bluff. First man went to the top to see what the cloud was. Lane the cloud was a baby girl. First man lifted the baby into his arms and carried her down to first woman. The holy people helped first man and first woman raise the baby girl. They named her Changing Woman. Lane time, Changing Woman grew to be an adult. She had twin sons. One was named Child Born of Water. The other was called Monster Slayer. The twins grew to be tall and strong. One day they went hunting. They looked down and saw a hole in the ground. Smoke was coming out of the hole. Hmm, that's usually a bad sign, said Bigsy. Tom continued, they looked closer and heard a voice say, Come in. They climbed down into the hole. At the bottom, they found Spider Woman. The twins always wondered who their father was. They asked Spider Woman about this. The son is your father, she told them. 
the twins decided to meet their father. They left Spider-Woman and went toward the sun. It was long, hard trip. Many things tried to keep the boys from their father. Finally, they reached the sun. They told him about the monsters that were hurting people. The sun promised to help get rid of the monsters. Before the twins left, their father gave them weapons and knowledge. Use these to kill the monsters, the sun said. So, the twins left. Monster Slayer used his new weapons to kill many monsters. His brother helped. It included killing the giant, and Monster Slayer stripped off his helmet and coat of mail and put them in his two big baskets, to carry home to their mother. Then the younger brother, child of the water, cut off the giant's scalp, whence he got his other name, the Cutter. When the twins got back, they found their mother making baby tracks of corn pollen, as a prayer for the return of her sons. She also had a long piece of turquoise, which she held up to the sun. When smoke arose from the upper end, it was a sign that the boys were in danger. When drops of blood appeared at the lower end, it was a sign they had killed their enemies. The next morning the slayer went out alone and killed the great one-horned monster which had tried to eat him up. The next day he went to Winged Rock, where the harpy which had pursued him dwelt, and so on each day he went out until the last of the monsters was dead. But just when he thought the land was freed of all evil, he spied four ugly strangers. They were cold and hunger, poverty and death, and straightway he went to destroy them. Cold was an old woman, freezing and shivering. You may kill me if you wish, she said. But if you do, it will always be hot. There will be no snow, and no water in the summer. You will do better to let me live. You speak wisely, my grandmother, he answered, and so we still have the cold. If you kill me, said hunger, the people will all lose their appetites. There will be no more pleasure in feasting and eating. So, the slayer let him live. Poverty was an old man in filthy garments. Kill me, he said, and put me out of my misery. But if you do your old clothes will never wear out, the people will never make new ones. You will all be ragged and dirty, like me. So, the slayer spared his life. Death was old and bent and wrinkled, and the slayer was determined to kill her. If you slay me, she said, your people will never increase. The worthless old men will not die and give up their places to the young. Let me live and your young men will marry and have children. I am your friend, though you know it not. I will let you live, my grandmother, he said. And so we still have death. Tom had been leaning forward while he told the story. Now, he leaned back on his chair. Wow, great story said Claire, the sun providing weapons, the four old women of death, poverty, hunger and cold. The roaming badass monsters. The twins child of water and monster slayer. It's more than a story, said Tom, it's a belief in our culture. Yes, and it differs from, say, the four horsemen, said Bigsy. Tom agreed, yes, and it is a well-repeated tale among Navajo and other Native Americans. Thank you, said Claire, thank you for sharing it with us. We use the fire in the earth and the stars to absorb their beneficent power and strength into our minds and bodies hearts and songs just as the plants, animals and other beings are now drawing power and strength during this time. We ask for the circle to be filled with the light and enlightenment needed to grow.
and we ask for the circle and the outer circle to extend to those we need to protect. We do this in the relationship of earth, sun and moon bringing this unity with the larger web of being and becoming. Within you and without you. As above so below. As without so within. Allow us to shine to the greater pattern. Bigsy looked up. The sky was clear. There were no stars. It was dawn. He looked towards Claire. She was also sitting cross-legged, looking at the sky. Red and Chuck were nowhere to be seen. Then Tom appeared. He was carrying two two cups of coffee. He handed one to Bixie and the other to Claire. What happened asked Claire. One minute we were having a ceremony and the next minute it was morning. Yes, Red is good with the spells. I only woke myself a few moments ago said Tom. Red emerged from the Hogan, good morning everyone he said, it is still very early, but it is a great time to see the desert and where the eagle flies. Red said Bixie I don't think I knew what happened last night. I remember the ceremony and a sitting around the fire but then nothing until this morning. That is part of the magic said Red, as you commune with the spirits of the desert and ask for their protection you can be sure that there are powerful forces at work. Sometimes it is easier for a two-legged to take on these powers while they are sleeping. I think that is what the desert wanted. I don't think you will feel any different, but you will start to notice some things change as you go about your quest said Red. Bigsy looked around him. There were marks on the ground behind him where the others had slept around the campfire. Bigsy assumed they were symbols that represented animal spirits. What are they asked Bigsy, to Red. Red looked. They are some clues for you as you go forward. They are symbols from the spirits. Each one has a meaning. The elk, the lynx, the caribou and the hawk. These will be spirits that will guide you in your mission with Chuck. And what do they each mean asked Claire. Red looked. If you see these symbols, as you would on a totem pole, they have particular meanings. The meanings are representative of the animal. The elk shows strength and agility, Pride, majestic independence, purification and nobility. The lynx is a keeper of secrets, a guardian listener and guide. The huge caribou is a symbol of travel, of mobility, and nomadic adaptability to adversity. And finally, the hawk is a messenger bringing great intuition, victory, healing ability, recollection, cleansing, visionary power and guardianship. I think if we have these spirits to help us, we would be in good shape said Bigsy, smiling towards Red. Red replied, but now I think you will need to be on your way. Red, these are from us said Chuck he extended his hand and placed something into Red's palm. It was the three crystals that Chuck had bought at the shack by the roadside in the desert earlier the previous day. Mm -hmm.